1: All right, from the Minnesota State Fair, it is Mackie and Judd. A reset now from uh, 11 until 1 o'clock. Zolgad, Manny Hill up here on stage with me, of course, from, uh, as Phil said, the ride with Roycey fame. Uh, Jonathan Harrison producing back in studio. So uh, we will replay Jason Stark, who joined us. He ordinarily joins us at 11.30 on Tuesdays. We're going to, he joined us at 9.30 yesterday, so we're going to replay him at 11.30. And then uh, Kate Mortensen, who is the CEO of the Minneapolis Final Four local organization committee, will join us up here on stage at 1230, and we will get to the bottom of how the shade gate is going. If they have bought enough shades now, enough curtains, so <laughs> that the light won't pour into U.S. Bank Stadium for the Final Four. Manny, um, I want to uh, circle back on something that we talked about briefly during the last segment, and that is this uh, Marquise Lee Season-ending knee injury with Jacksonville. And it's not that I give a damn about the Jaguars. But um, there's a couple of things that occur to me about this. And number one, for for all we've talked about, the penalties, right? The penalties mm-hmm. being thrown because the helmet-to-helmet helmet and defenders not, and officials not really knowing what the correct call is. And now it looked like in week three of the preseason, it actually got pulled back quite a bit and we didn't have as many flags I think the other recurring problem that we've already started to have, and it's only going to get worse, is guys don't know how to tackle. Yeah. So they're all going low, which is actually not dirty. It's the right thing to do. But how many players have we seen quotes from the last couple of years essentially come out and say, and they're exactly right, I would almost rather suffer a concussion than blow my knee out? Yeah. I think that I think the, the Lee injury is the first of that only getting worse because – the only split-second decision that you can make now, if you're coming at me, because I don't know if you're going to bob or weave, the only split-second decision I can make that I know is probably going to work is for me to take out your knees. And, and I don't mean that in a dirty way. Right. I mean that's my split-second. If I go, if I lunge for you with my helmet and take out your knees, I don't think I get called for that.
2: Yeah, well, the other the other interesting part of it too is with quarterbacks because now they have they have the they have the rule now with quarterbacks you can't go low on a quarterback now, right? Yes. So it's like how are you gonna how are you supposed to handle tackling a quarterback if you can't go high, you can't land your body weight on a quarterback, and you can't hit them low. So well, I, quarterback, you're yeah. I mean, you're it, it, you're it's, screwed now. Yeah, you're screwed. It, you got That's no coming cans. close
1: to that's coming close to being some type of flag football touch.
2: Yeah, and I'm not joking. Quarterbacks wearing red jerseys, just like yes, and you just and, can't, you yeah. just can't, can't hit them. Him. Yeah, but at with, least in the pocket. But with the Lee thing, I mean, and Lee's a receiver, and I mean, if if you're a safety or if you're a linebacker and you're trying to bring him down, if he's going over the middle, you can't hit him high because you're going to get flagged for 15 yards for that if if the helmets collide. And, and now your focus is hitting them low. I, I don't know what these guys are supposed to do at this point. And I, underst- I understand what the league is trying to do from the standpoint of trying to make the game safer, trying to eliminate concussions, trying to eliminate head injuries and that sort of thing. And potential lawsuits. And potential lawsuits. I get it, but it's like, at the same time, it's like, when is when is enough enough on this stuff? I, 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 they I don't just, know. I don't know. They, they, I don't get they it. Don't, they don't
1: know. But if you go back and watch the Atlanta safety uh, tackling Lee, it's a really, really odd tackle. But it's the type of tackle I think we're going to start to see, which is yeah. I've got to bring this guy down. And I don't know if he's going to duck. Because if he, if he ducks, if I'm the safety and I duck, and you have the ball and you duck, and I hit you head on, that's a 15-yard penalty and potential ejection for me. So if you go back and watch it, it's a really odd-looking tackle. And it's the type of tackle a we'll few years back here. You would say, that seems weird, but now it's completely justified.
2: And what's gonna, what, what is the league Cause going to do? Because he contorts himself, you know? Yeah, well, what is the league going to do now if this continues to happen? If this becomes a weekly thing and next thing you know you've got 50 guys on IR with ACL or, or other sorts of knee injuries because they got tackled below the knees by someone's helmet, what is the league going to do? Because you know how the league operates. Anytime something becomes uh, somewhat of a big deal, they, they, they go all out, and they, they overreact to everything, and they make some rule change to everything. So now what is the league going to do if, if 50 guys end up with ACL injuries this year because of something like what happened to Marquise Lee?
1: I honestly think they don't think about that, and that's the problem. Yeah. I think they, their thought process here, and, and make no mistake, Roger Goodell and the National Football League are not concerned about players' brains. They're concerned about the fact that they've gotten that sued. sued yeah. And they realize that this is going down a very slippery slope. And they also know that they're being fed statistics that show that youth participation in football is dropping. And that's bad for their business. So everything they're doing is, is not because they care about people. It's because they care about the almighty dollar. Line. Right. Yep. So, so y- your point's a great point. And I can guarantee you they've given no thought. And what they do, never
2: give any thought to anything until
1: after something yeah, happens. But, and, yeah. but but let's say let's say we have, and it, it's not like we haven't had a bunch of guys blow out their ACLs in recent years. But let's say we have an uptick in that. What is next? You can't make the legs. You can't say that that we're going to penalize you for a hit near the head, which is now what they're saying. They're not saying it has to be head. They're basically throwing the flag at times for hit for if I lower my head into you. So you can't eliminate that, and then come back and tell me, well, you can't take guys out now. QBs you can, but receivers and running backs that I can't tackle them at the knees. So now what's left?
2: And now touch and, football. Yeah, and then and, and the biggest problem that, and so many people have brought this up, and players themselves have brought it up, defensive players especially. Now you're telling me I can't play the way that I've been playing. So you're telling 27, 28, 29 year old football players yes. that they can't tackle and they can't play how, the way that they've been playing since they were seven. How years they've old. been taught, yeah. right?
1: Which is which is why if you do have youth football players now coming up, you got a fighting chance because they're going to be conditioned to tackle differently. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you, you're going to Harrison Smith now and saying Harrison, everything you know has changed, and in a split second decision, you have to change your thinking. And he's going to say. What? I'm paid millions of dollars. I'm expected to win on Sundays. And I I am one of the best safeties in this league, in part because I know how to play this brutal sport like I've been taught to play it, and now I can't do that. But this goes back to what you said, which is this league never gives anything, any thought. And most sports don't. And most sports don't. They don't give anything, any thought until one thing is threatened. The bottom line and money. Yeah. It never has anything to do. It's like, it's like this whole Ohio State thing. You know, Urban Meyer seems like, I mean, don't they ca- No, they don't care. No, They don't care about, and, and it's not, I think the problem with that one is there's this perception that they don't care about women. No, they don't care about people. Right. Like big-time college, it's not. but it's not a gender thing. They don't care about people. No, exactly. I mean, the Maryland coach had a kid die. Because of the practices of that program. That's a male athlete on his team. Mm-hmm. He died. And you know what they care about? They care about the fact he died. They got, they got caught. They feel bad about that. Because now they're going to have to pay a big settlement. Same se- thing with s- Urban Meyer.
2: Same thing with Urban Meyer. Yeah.
1: So to make any mistake that professional sports or big-time Division One college athletics, football, basketball, really care about people... We need to retrain we need to retrain you right there to say, No, they don't. Yeah. They care about how much they're going to make. Are they selling tickets and are they maximizing the amount that they can get from television?
2: And you know what's amazing too with football, going back to the to the lee thing? Ten years from now, football you watch ten years from now scoring is gonna be astronomical in football because guys are not going to be able to tackle what is going to happen to it that's a really well that that's that's going to be interesting is if football good question i i honestly have a hard time believing as much as i love the sport i have a hard time believing football is going to even exist 30 35 years from now.
1: which which sounds absolutely asinine right now until you realize long before our births horse racing and boxing were enormous yep like football, I don't think football is ever going to completely go away,
2: but but it's going to be significant. If you go NBA back
1: different. and study sports in the twenties and thirties, what did people have? Baseball, which they absolutely adored. It was it was the National Football League. Now,
2: mm-hmm.
1: boxing on Saturday nights, horse, horse racing, racing was huge. Those so yeah. sports aren't dead. Boxing almost might as well be dead. Yeah, and you're a big boxing guy. Yeah. So, so. When you say that, if people scoff and they're like, What are you talking about?
2: Football's the biggest sport there is. They all thought that about exactly. boxing, you know, thirty years ago. They all thought that about boxing. Yeah, I, I mean I I think football as we see it right now, I think is on borrowed time. I honestly think it's just I, I don't think we're gonna see this sport unless you play the way it is. I, today, I was gonna say unless twenty you, years from now. Unless
1: you can condition people to play it differently. And but I that, guess most I'm importantly, saying. fans enjoy it differently.
2: Right, but, but that's what I'm saying. Like, I think the football, the way it's being played right now, I think is going to look totally different. It's going to look totally different from this 20, 25 years from now because guys are not going to be able to. There's going to be so many rule changes over the next decade or so Yep. to the point where scoring is going to go up because guys aren't going to be able to tackle and, and, and hit players the way they, they have been. Yep. And and really, I mean, you might get to a point where their players aren't even wearing pads anymore. Or helmets. Or helmets. I think it's, we are. It's because they won't be necessary because guys won't be able to hit each other. I
1: think we're 10 years away from quarterbacks not getting hit. Yeah. There's going to be some type of trigger. There's going to be some type of system, electronic or something, where the quarterback's going to be declared down. And that's going to be it. Because... If you are the National Football League and you're paid millions and billions of dollars and by your TV your quarterbacks are your stars and your quarterbacks are your absolute stars and and you pay me huge money to show the Green Bay Packers and Dallas Cowboys and instead of Aaron Rodgers I got I'm NBC on a Sunday night show yeah, Brett, Brett Hundley, Hundley.
2: you or know Deshaun what Kizer. That's
1: bad for <laughs> that's bad business. Exactly right. Yeah. Do you also think and and this has already started. The Lee injury to me, though, is another sign. And I believe it was the Bears who were technically in week three of the preseason playing their fourth game because they played in the Hall of Fame game. Mm-hmm. How close do you think we are now, and teams have started this, to not playing starters in the preseason basically across the board? I want to say McVay has done that largely with the Rams. But... You know, the early the early part of the season in this league, weeks one through four, are not great football. Mm-hmm. And those have now sort of become the feel-it-out games where, where guys get used to get, getting back in the swing of things. But at least if they get hurt in those games, they're hurting games that matter. I think we're going to get across the board here to a point pretty soon where teams are going to say, if we got to play four preseason, that's fine, but we're not playing starters anymore.
2: Yeah, or if we do, it's going to be a series. And we might start seeing coaches and owners start to butt heads on this because the owners are going to want people to show up to these preseason games, even though they don't matter and even though the starters aren't going to play a whole lot in them. But if you start telling – if you're a head coach, if you're Mike Zimmer, and you're going to start saying, okay, Kirk Cousins, Dalvin Cook, Diggs and Thielen – you know, Barr and Kendricks and all these guys, they're not even going to see the field in these preseason games at all. We're not going to play them at all. They're going to practice through camp and everything in the preseason, but they're not going to play at all. If you're Ziggy, are you liking hearing that?
1: I'm not, but if I'm Spielman and Zimmer, and I, I see the trend in the league, I'm also saying, Mr. Wilf, if we play Stefan Diggs for a half in the third preseason game and he blows his knee out, that's going to affect our jobs in a great way because now if if Laquan Treadwell bounces up to the number two receiver for the Vikings and I lose games,
2: mm-hmm.
1: so I think that there's a definite. I think there's a definite give and take there. Because I, I wonder if, if you really want to win
2: and you're an owner, mm-hmm. I
1: think you listen to your personnel people there, don't you?
2: I I would hope so because I get but, your point. But I always I always wonder like if you're if you're wanting to go to a Vikings preseason game and you realize that nobody is even going to play nobody of importance is going to play at all do you want to go to that game do you end up going to that game and if you don't end up going to that game is ziggy wolf going to look at those look at those empty seats even in a preseason game that doesn't matter and start wondering if he needs to see some of his main guys out there
1: i got a question for you Because you you know he would think about it. A lawyer could answer this. Here's my question. With the way the preseason has gone, and I mean, it's always been useless, but now it's really useless, and more and more teams are admitting it. If you're a season ticket holder, could you file a class action suit against your team or the league claiming those games are fraudulence?
2: That would be interesting.
1: Say, I'm not paying for those. I, I want my season tickets, but you're providing me a fraudulent product, because it's a fraud. The preseason's a fraud. Yeah, it's a joke. But I wonder if you could do that, because but but I I get it now. Now, Mackie and I came up with the perfect solution. I think I had half of this idea, and then he filled it out, and it's absolutely the way they should go. NBA Summer League, instead of playing four preseason games, our idea was you have two or three games in June that are your bottom roster guys. Mm-hmm. So, they feel, so you don't play Kirk Cousins or Diggs, but you have, you have the equivalent of the NBA Summer League type of deal mm-hmm. with your bottom roster guys, and those are the majority of your preseason games.
2: And those are guys that are fighting for roster spots. Correct. To, then you yeah. run
1: training camp, and you maybe have your starters get action in a preseason game. Not the entire game. But, so basically, training camp, the training portion of camp doesn't change. But what you do is you conduct games in the spring where guys actually are who are fighting for roster spots make up those games. And then you take down the preseason to one game so guys can just sort of get their feet wet.
2: Well, college teams have spring scrimmages all the time. So why why wouldn't the NFL be able to do that? But the NBA summer
1: league is brilliant. Yeah. Like
2: it's become I watch those games now.
1: And ESPN if you, go, if you go to the Foxes and ESPNs of the world and say, all right, you're not going to get a full slate of preseason games now, but we are going to give you the NFL Summer League. And, by the way, we are looking to be relevant year-round if possible. And people will watch. I would watch. People will watch. I would watch with more interest. I would actually, if you put together a schedule of games, let's say, from minicamp, Around that time, May, I how May, many June. games? I
2: think how many games you. it is would be important though too, because I don't think you want to oversaturate it. Could you play a couple? I think you could do somewhere between two and four, and then
1: have one, and then have one what we consider to be preseason game.
2: Yeah, I'd be on board with that.
1: All I know is that ESPN and the NBA, the marketing of that summer league is genius. Yeah. Coming up tonight, it's July you know sixth. Coming up t- tonight, it's the Celtics and Lakers, and I know people watch. Yeah. And I think more people watch that than watch baseball
2: now. And then the next thing you know, some guy you never heard of gets 25 points in a summer league game and people are talking about him. And then if somebody picks brilliant. him up in the middle of the season, it's like, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. He lit it up in summer league for a couple of games.
1: Let's uh, take a break, come back. Let's uh, let's talk some Wolves dysfunction next. Mackie and Judd is Zolgad and Hill right now from the State Fair. Well, we Mackie and Judd know, from the State, know, State, State, State Fair know, is uh, Zolgad know, and Manny Hill, who, of course, is on the uh, ride with Roycey and will be today as well. Jonathan Harrison producing back in studio. Um, We are going to have uh, Jason Stark on at 11.30. All right, so I get home yesterday, Manny Held, Mm -hmm. and I turn on. Now, I'm not nearly as big a basketball guy as you are, but I I like the jump a lot Mm -hmm. on ESPN. So I turn on the jump, and it's windy. Nick, is it Friedel or Friedel who Uh, covers... Okay, who's covered the uh, Bulls for a long time, but yep. likes Tibbs and was at a ton of Wolves games last year, and um, they're talking about the Wolves. And you know, Phil and I, and I'm sure you, have been sort of like, I don't know about this whole thing. Should they shop Butler? And sometimes you think to yourself, well, are we casting this right? Because I mean, we're trying to read the tea leaves and see what's going on, and mm-hmm. and in some ways, it's guessing. But they have they essentially said everything that we've said. They've said they said. They think there's a very good chance that Butler leaves. They wondered, rightfully so, why Cat has not signed his max contract yet, which, which we all expect him to do. Nobody has ever not signed that. Right. But their point was that contract ordinarily gets like put down in front of the person and then they sign it and it's done for five years. He still is dragging his feet on signing it. Everything they said played out like what we've said. And if that's the case, if you're Tibbs, Don't you owe it to this organization to at least explore Butler's value? Don't you at least? I mean, do you come back and just say, we're going to try and win a first-round playoff series and make the playoffs again with Butler, who's probably going to bolt, and Cat, who clearly doesn't like the predicament he's in? Or do you say, for the good of this franchise long-term, if Jimmy Butler is not going to stay here and he already doesn't clearly get along that great with my superstar player, we gotta do something here that might not be popular, but is in the best interest of the franchise long term?
2: Well, I, I have said for a couple of months now, as we got closer to the end of the season and then after the Rocket series was done, that clearly there there is a little bit of fire to the smoke that's been put out. How much of how much fire it actually is, we can speculate and who knows how much of it it, it actually is. But I do think that there has been something there and I have said for weeks, for months, that Tom Thibodeau needs to sit everybody down. The important the, – the key players of this team he needs to sit them down, and that means Towns and Butler especially, Wiggins, even, you know, even Jeff Teague, and maybe to a lesser extent Taj Gibson because Taj is going to come in and just give you whatever he's got. Yeah. You know, he, he's, <laughs> he's going to be a pro just, and everything. Yeah, yeah. So he's not – you know, he, Taj is right, fine. Right, right. But, but because he's a veteran on the team, you know – you. Might want to include them in these conversations, but they just need to sit down and just and just talk and say, okay, how do we make this work? The chemistry is off a little bit. How can we make this work? There's too much talent here. There's too much money, yep. Yep. invested into this into this. You know, there's too much salary invested into this roster, to have it go to waste, and to be scratching and clawing for a playoff spot in the last night of the regular season? Like, or do you, how do we build upon what we've done already oh, and, and stop bickering at each other?
1: Or do you sit down with Butler first and say, all right, Jimmy, I'm Tibbs. You've known me for a long time. Do you want to be here? And if he's like, you know what, I really don't. I think you gotta, I, I think your idea of sitting the entire group down is a good one, mm-hmm. but I wonder if the conversation starts with Jimmy Butler. And if Jimmy Butler yeah. says, you know, I love Kyrie. Mm-hmm. Kyrie and I are talking about the Knicks. The Lakers, I mean, the Lakers can blow this entire thing up after, I think, roster-wise, after yeah. 2018-19. Yep. So the, the Lakers look in 2019-20 could be completely different and could include Jimmy Butler. So if I'm Tibbs, that, that's the answer I need. Yeah. And if he's like, you know, Tom, I, I love you, and I'll play here this year, but I'm willing to, I'm willing to take less in the short term to go play with LeBron and or Kyrie. I don't even know that you need the come to Jesus kumbaya sit down because at that point, I think you say, I got to try and deal,
2: you. The the thing of it is, is I honestly don't think Jimmy knows what he wants to get. <laughs> And that's and that's kind of scary because you Then don't I need wanna... the an- then
1: I need the answer.
2: <laughs> I, know. I need I know. the answer. It's frustrating because it, it would be nice if you just had I mean he was never going to sign that extension that they offered right. him in the offseason cuz he has a chance to get more money. But yeah, I, I honestly don't think I don't think he knows. I think Jimmy is in let's wait and see how this season goes before I even decide if I want to stay here or not. And we're going to be this is going to go on. Okay, all so if you if
1: you're Tibbs, what do you do about that? That's a big that's a big well, if and, on his part, especially wonder, when the
2: dysfunction is already existent going in. Right. Well and and I wonder if you know I, I wonder if Tibbs I wonder how objective Tibbs can be in terms of Jimmy because Jimmy is his guy. And he played Tom Thibodeau well, was right there I got for bad Jimmy news Butler's. I got bad news for you then. If
1: you're Glenn Taylor, you gotta go downstairs to Tibbs and say, I know I hired you to be objective. I know. You're but my but chief I, I executive
2: basketball I, I, operations. I don't. I just don't know. And and look, Jimmy is great, and Jimmy has Jimmy brings the lunch pail. I mean, Jimmy comes to the comes to the arena every night, and he's ready to work, and he's ready to play hard, and yep. he's going to give you he, everything he's got. He's
1: the Zach Parisi of his sport.
2: Yes, he absolutely. works his butt off. Absolutely, but he's. And, but, the and that's the valuable. but
1: the off the court stuff has become very trying.
2: Right, and and I wonder if because Jimmy, I, it, you know. If Jimmy is going to be a leader on this roster, he's got to be able to, and, and I know me, you, and Collar, we kind of talked about this on, on Saturday Sports Talk a couple of weeks ago about, you know, just Towns kind of towns and Wiggins, are they coddled? And, and I think to a little bit they kind of have been because they were both drafted high and they've kind of grown up their whole lives, sort of everybody telling them how great they were going to be in terms of being, you know, basketball players and everything. So there is a little bit of that sort of, you know, entitlement and just – Everything that comes from being a young player that was drafted high. But Jimmy has got to find a way to – and Jimmy doesn't relate to that at all because Jimmy Jimmy was the last guy taken in the first round, and he had to work his butt off to be the player that he is today, which yes. is a phenomenal basketball player. But it gives
1: him no empathy for those who have right. more talent but he's and gotta, need to be
2: prodded. If he's going to be here, though, and if the team is going to be successful, he's got to be able to find a way – to get to these guys, it, Towns especially, because Towns is the most important piece of this puzzle. I think he's shown, without
1: question. But Manny, I think he's shown he's incapable.
2: I, that's that's, and I this is the that's mistake my, I that's made. The question
1: I I told Phil this: the mistake that I made in this entire thing was thinking that he would be the conduit between Tibbs and the players, most importantly Cat. It's basically Tibbs and Butler against those guys. Yeah, and I don't think Jimmy has. I don't think he has the empathy gene to be like. You know, I worked my ass off. Cat's got talent I, can't, I couldn't dream of having at that age, so how do we get it? He just looks and says, y- you ain't doing what I did, kid, yeah. and it's not going to work. And and, and the, the, really, the really scary thing about this entire conversation is it's an off-season of Wolves talk now, and we have dropped Andrew Wiggins' name from it completely. He should have been our main talking point. Shows, shows like this should be talking about. You got Butler and you got Cat. Now, how do you get the most from Wiggy?
2: Yeah, we're not and, even talking. He's and become I don't even know a how. Forgotten. And you know, and Tibbs was on with us on the ride yesterday, and you know, and and he's still very high on Andrew. It sounds like, and which I mean, at look this at the point, contract he has. Yeah, to. I mean, he has to be. What's he I gonna mean, say? And and at this point, I've I've said this too. I mean, at this point, Wiggins is more than likely is who he is. But they do have to find a way because of the contract. The contract is starting now. It's not like he's two or three years into this thing. It's starting now. It's a five-year deal. He's going to make almost $30 million a year. You've got to find a way somehow to make this work with with him and Butler especially because they kind of play the same position. And and this is a wings-driven league now. Mm -hmm. You've got two... You've got one fantastic wing player who's one of the top 12 or 13 players in the league, and then you have another one who has the physical ability to be a top 15 to 20 player, but it's just up here in the brain. It's just not – he's just not putting it together. It's not clicking whatsoever. It's not clicking at all, and now you're at a point where you're stuck with this contract and you're wondering if it ever will click. But Tibbs has got to find a way. He can't just – the thing I will say with Tibbs and Butler, you can't just sit back. At either of these guys, and just say, "Well, they're not doing it the way we do it, and they're not doing it the way I did it back in the day." And, and you know, and, and Jimmy can't just be like, "Well, they're not doing it the same way I did." You can't, Which you can't is. do that. You you have to no, you can't find but a we way know that. to reach them. We know. know that they don't know. And that. that doesn't mean that doesn't mean coddle them and baby no. them and treat them like the royalty or anything like that. There's you can mix some tough love in there, yeah. but you gotta find a way to just you gotta find a way to connect with them. And if you can't, then
1: You know? (laughs) Timberwolves dysfunction never ends. The one thing that's not dysfunctional, Manny Hill, I'll tell you this, is Jason Stark on baseball. He's always fantastic. He joins us next. Mackie and Judd is Zolgad and Manny Hill from the Minnesota State Fair.
3: Live at the Minnesota State Fair, Jason Stark. uh, What kind of state fair do they have in Pennsylvania?
4: Uh there's not really a true Pennsylvania State Fair. There's a lot of, you know, local fairs. There is theoretically a Pennsylvania State Fair, but it's, um, it, it's not what you're thinking of. <laughs> like, my wife is from York, PA, and the York Fair is a huge deal with, you know, the cotton candy and the trucks that come and give you frozen, half frozen lemonade and, the, the rides—that's that, what you're talking about. The Pennsylvania State Fair is is more of a commercial endeavor.
1: The problem with fairs is they just make you fat. That's the problem. That's a good. That's life. It's a life choice. A good yeah. fa- a good fair just makes you fatter by the time that you depart that day. Jason. Well, what's done. your
4: point? That's what's wrong with that. <laughs> well, you,
1: you're a in decent shape guy. I look at food and gain ten pounds. So see, that's my problem. I'm Snow-like, Jason. I think <laughs> about food, I gain weight, I get moved to first base, then DH, and then get sent to Florida.
4: Right, so, but but it, like it doesn't matter if we go to the fair and we get fatter. Like, I wouldn't send Miguel Snow to the fair. Let's not
3: do that. No, that's a good death. They used to I, do that. They stopped, right? to be honest. I don't know if the Dominican Republic has a fair, but either way, he should, he should stay away. Tell us the story about the guy who took three days to get three hits in one day. A very Starkian like nugget.
4: Baseball's awesome, right? It's just awesome. So th- this, was, um, this was a minor league feat. And, you know, thanks to suspended games, you have time travel. So, the guy who did this is Mike Yastrzemski, and yeah, he's Carl Yastrzemski's grandson. Wow. He's an outfielder in the Orioles system, plays for Norfolk A, and they begin a doubleheader on August 1st, and the, the doubleheader gets suspended, so they had to resume it last week, and it, it, it I mean, it's a long story. They had all kinds of weather problems. Uh, When they resumed it, they had a doubleheader gone beyond that. But anyway, he, he gets a hit at 11.45 p.m., and then he gets another hit in that game at 1.15 in the morning, and it all started on August 1st. So all those hits are recorded as having happened on August 1st, but in fact they happened over three different days. Baseball, baseball go.
1: is awesome. You're you're so right. Ah, uh, so Jason, you with all of the um, oddities that you love to keep track of, what is the one thing that you in, in your time have never seen that you've thought up that you would love to see in baseball? Like, what's the weird? What's the weirdest thing? When Jason Stark is th- is daydreaming to himself about the next thing that you would like to put in your extensive collection of notes, what's something that you haven't seen that you've <laughs> thought up and thought this would be really cool to see?
4: You know, I've, I've got a, I've got a warped mind. I think a lot of stuff, Um like I love you. My guy was, you know, we had two games over the weekend, right, where there were eight run, eighth innings, and I was thinking, oh, I wonder if there's ever been a nine run, ninth inning, and a ten run, tenth inning, and an eleven run, eleventh inning. I'd like to just keep going like that, but I, I know that's probably impossible. Um, I, you know, I would love to see a game where, like, they just couldn't get the first inning over with. You know, each team just kept scoring and scoring and scoring, and we talk about how baseball is timeless, and we could actually have a game that could theoretically never end. That's what I'd love to see—a game that just they just give up, they just say, "Hey, we got to get to we got to get to the next city." See ya. Could, what do you think?
3: What are you? What are your theories on? at some point in the regular season putting a stop on extra innings in some form i know we've talked about expediting it putting a runner on second base but um are you in the camp that says you know what if it's tuesday night and a game goes till two o'clock in the morning so be it
4: yeah but see i like that Uh, (laughs) i'm I'm the oddity king i like it when a game goes 20 and you know position players are playing the outfield (laughs) and, and the shortstop gets the win, and and Somebody gets the, you know, pitcher gets the walk off pinch hit at four in the morning. I'm, I am all for that, but I don't have to play. So I understand why baseball would want to take some kind of action on that in the minor leagues. I am really opposed to it happening in the big leagues because like these really super long games, how often do they happen? They're once or twice a year maybe. Yep. So it, like to me, the, the lore that goes with that is worth it. You know, to think, you know, there's been a lot of conversation over the last couple of weeks, for instance, that, the, you know, the Red Sox are going to abandon their longtime AAA home in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, the Pawtucket Red Sox, and the longest game in professional, you know, modern professional history took place there, that 33-inning game over two days, Wade Boggs played in it, and Cal Ripken played in it, and there are books written about it. Yep. I don't want to see that go away. Am I crazy?
1: No, no. In fact, I. this is great. When did you – I'm going to tell you a quick story and ask you, when did you first realize that baseball-wise you, you were a bit odd? Because I'll tell you mine. I think it was July 4th of 83-ish or so. We had just gotten cable, right? And that's the legendary uh, Braves-Mets game that I think Rick Camp homered in the pitch yeah, in. and i'm not kidding you i think it was around 3 30 or 4 in the morning central time and my mom comes downstairs and she's mad and she's like why are you still up what are you doing what are you watching and i'm like mom this is the greatest ever this game won't end and she's like what are you just go to bed what are you talking about and i was like 13 but that's the first time baseball wise i realized i was an odd
4: duck I'm not sure exactly the first time, but I I would say when I was covering baseball, when I realized I'd become that guy, was that the fabled 1993 Phillies team that played the doubleheader that ended at 4.41 a.m. on the Mitch Williams walk-off hit, and then a few days later, played a twenty-inning game that ended at two forty-five a.m. And like I, that, just I, I, I know I wrote a column, a gigantic column about that team and that week. I, I easily could have written like a mini-series, and people at that point just expected that that's what I would do. They expected that I would, I would go to the park the next day or go to the clubhouse at five in the morning and collect all the funny quotes. Um, you know, the, the Larry Anderson quote about how uh, this team does some of its best work between two in the morning and five in the morning. And I don't know if he was talking about baseball there yeah. uh, or, you know, the drunks wandering into the 441 a.m. game at two, three in the morning. And Andy Ben is telling me, because he was, Padre then, right? Nobody went to their games He said, you know, we had more people going through the turnstiles here at three in the morning than we have at our regular games in San Diego. So that just became my thing. And now, like, there's never a day that goes by where either people aren't tweeting at me saying, you would know this or you would love this or you can help me answer this. Or if I'm in a press box, people wandering up to me saying, only you would get a kick out of this. Or only you would appreciate this. And like this has just become my niche. I'm the guy who collects the weirdness and the wackiness of baseball. I like I think it's good. I think most people mean it as a compliment. I'm not hundred percent sure but No, it, it's definitely my niche now. It's, it's just definitely, become my thing.
3: It's hard to well it's hard now in not just baseball writing and media, but in sports media and all kinds of media to stand out and so Number one, it's a compliment to you because you've been able to carve out a a noticeable and valuable niche. But I want to go even a step further here. I feel like as we sit here and try to diagnose baseball and where it's going, and we have these conversations on a regular basis these days, the best thing, aside from just the structure of football being a -a once-a-week event, which baseball can't replicate, the best thing the NFL has going over the past 50 years is the storytelling aspect of NFL Films. I mean, watching Hard Knocks on a weekly basis. I finally caught up on Hard Knocks this weekend. You get these inside looks at the sport that you love, and I, I'd i love to know if you could go back in time, Jason, 50 years and document baseball as closely as NFL Films has documented football and have some of these benchmark shows. I know we had this week in baseball for a long time, but if we had more benchmark shows like that to tell the behind the cur- uh, curtain stories publicly i'd love to know where baseball would be right now from a marketing standpoint uh compared to where it is
4: huh that's i mean that's a really interesting concept uh like i would i mean i would watch every minute of those shows i would i would love to see that um but why do you know football because again because it's once a week there's more time to reflect. There's more time to reenact those stories, and there's more time for people who love football to watch those stories than in baseball, where during baseball season, you're, like that team you follow is playing every night. It's playing all the time. When you're not working, that your team is playing, probably. And so when would people watch it? I guess that's I guess that's my question.
3: Yeah, there's no room to come up for air, right? I mean, you're just yeah, you're watching you're off watching season maybe. Team. Yeah, off season. But it'd be so it's much fun. It wouldn't be fun to know, like in the like, watching Hard Knocks, and you get these conversations where um, what's his name, rookie receiver from Florida gets gets arrested, and you see the behind the scenes conversation with him, the general manager, and the head coach. Yep. I would love to see stuff in the manager's office, right? And they have they documented the Giants one year, but just more uh, stuff. Marlins. Like that. Yep. Remember that one. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. That went well.
1: <laughs> hey, hey, speaking of what makes baseball great, too, here's something else I absolutely love about the sport. The concept, the, the NBA, as we've talked about, Jason, the NBA concept of tanking, which we're like, you know, the Pirates are going to tank, and here's the team that I absolutely love, and this is what makes baseball special, Tampa Bay, right? Tampa Bay's traded everybody. They've gone with new strategies. They've done things where if you put it in, in basketball, for instance, they probably would be just a, a terrible team. Yet they've won eight consecutive games. What just swept the uh, Red Sox? The Tampa Bay Rays are are an incredibly fun team, and I look at them and their success, and I say, "How do they do it?" But yet I come back to it's also baseball.
4: <laughs> yeah, um, I mean they're they're just off the national radar screen for the most part. But you know m- maybe the fact that they're doing things. So differently this year has caused more conversation about them than at any time since maybe the, the 2008 World Series ended. Um, I, I was thinking about this uh, over the weekend myself. I like, I can't think of a more unorthodox team. They got the same record as the Dodgers. Really? Like, I never I never thought that would be possible at any moment this season, and yet they they've done it. Even though they traded away their, or, or just dumped, in the case of Corey Dickerson, right? They non tendered him, uh, or they DFE'd him. They traded away their four leading home run hitters. They traded away their closer and their leadoff hitter in May. They were basically selling at the deadline, although they did do a little adding. They trade, they did trade for Tommy Pham. They They went through a period where they had basically no starting rotation. Yeah, right. Archer was traded. Blake Snell was on the DL. Avaldi was traded. Um, Like I can't remember any team like this ever since I've been covering baseball, and they have found the most unorthodox ways to win of any team I can ever remember. But because they're in a in a division with two behemoths and a league with five behemoths, it, you know, it's not, some team with their record is going to play in October, and they're going to miss by like ten games.
3: Yeah, yeah. Hey, we got about, uh, I don't know, a minute and a half left for some trivia. We don't have the fancy music because we're, we're sitting out here without our usual uh, computer at the State Affair, but we would take you stumping us here uh, for the next 90 seconds, Jason, if you got it. <laughs> okay.
4: All uh, right, we'll try to do this quick. This is oh, we do it on Jim tome let do it, music. Uh, so the question is, three guys who have hit at least 35 homers for the Twins, but 100 homers for two other teams.
3: Uh, so, 100 homers. Wait, so 35 homers for the Twins.
4: Right. So, they, they had an impact on the Twins, but really hit 100 for two other teams. So, this is 35 homers, not
3: in one season for the Twins, necessarily. No. Okay. Correct. So, Jim Tomey, and then you said two others.
4: That's um one. Ortiz get up to 35? Yeah, he did, but he I only had, had two own. others. I was thinking there were three, but there's two. Okay. I, I was thinking Tory Hunter, but obviously Torrey did it, hit 100 for the Twins and Angels. So there's mm-hmm. two others.
3: And uh, Ortiz, Ortiz hit a hit more than 35 with the Twins and hit a bunch with the Red Sox, but we need another team.
4: Yeah, or, Ortiz is the gimme here. Yep.
3: Hmm. I'm trying to think of players who had little cups of coffee with the Twins. Okay. Okay. Did Brett? Did Brett? Brett Boone? No way. There's no way Brett Boone. No, nope. because he didn't. Oh, he no, didn't hit no, 35 no, no, no. He, he yeah, got yeah, cut yeah, really quick. Yeah, yeah. yeah he was true.
1: awful. Yeah. Um,
3: a, this is an amazing so, question.
1: So, just to be clear, too, are the home runs? Is that uh, combined for the other teams, or is that he hit thirty? He hit
4: at least a hundred for a hundred apiece for two other teams. Wow. Okay.
3: Because I would sprinkled in some with the twins. This is
1: not a guess, but I was going to say possibly Brunansky, but I don't think I don't know that he got up to hundred for two other teams. Man, what about? Um, did Chili Davis do it? <laughs> yes! Oh, good. Wow. Nice.
4: That is good work. Wow, I'll nice. look that right there. Joey Davis was the I mean, one. It, didn't you know hit. what's hard is try to figure out how many home runs these guys hit for the Twins. I was thinking Dave Winfield had to be an answer. Didn't hit 35 for the Twins. No, nope. he
1: didn't.
4: Joey no, um, kind of Davis hit 101 for the Giants, 156 for the Angels. How about Paul Molitor? No. Uh, Paul Molitor, I don't have him on my list, so he must not have hit yeah. 35 yeah, for the, he the he Twins. Home That's for what I'm Power. thinking.
3: Well, we for time reasons alone, Jason, we surrender here. We totally would have gotten it if we had another 60 seconds to stumble over ourselves. What's the
4: other one? Uh I it, I thought you didn't you guess the other one?
1: <clears throat> did I said Brunansky.
4: Uh Chili Davis
3: was one of our oh, guesses. And B, and David Ortiz. Oh, David. Oh, Ortiz. Oh, I got you. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Right on. So two okay. So we got it then. There it is. You got it. Us. You did well. You so we did get That's it. Great. Jason Stark, hey, thank you very much. Congratulations, we'll talk next star, week, man. Stark. See ya.
1: <laughs> Thanks.
4: That was exciting. I think. Yeah, exactly.
0: All right. I'm not sure either. Bye, bye, bye. Jason. Registration is underway for the 37th edition of the Medtronic Twin Cities Marathon, running from downtown Minneapolis to the state capitol grounds in St. Paul on Sunday, October 7th. Accomplish a bold feat while savoring the scenic beauty as two cities cheer you on. Run the most revered event in Minnesota running the Medtronic Twin Cities Marathon. Details at 1500ESPN.com, keyword events.
1: All right, back from the uh, State Fair, I want to thank Jason Stark again. That was actually, he joined us, he ordinarily joins us at 11.30 on Tuesdays. He joined us at 9.30 yesterday, so we played that because Jason's always outstanding. Zolgad, Manny Hill out here at the Fair. Jonathan Harrison producing back in studio. And, uh, Jonathan, in our remaining time for this hour, I want a United update because it seems like it's all, once again, come unglued. For our
0: loons. Yeah, I mean there's been a couple key injuries. Darwin Quintero's out with a calf strain, so that kind of ruins the guy who's come on lately as of July, and he's just been just a monster for the team when since they've signed him. Uh and without him, they kind of lose a lot of their creativity that they, they had. They traded Christian Ramirez to the LA Gal or to LAFC mm-hmm. uh because they signed Angelo Rodriguez, who's their second ever designated player signing. Um he's projected to be a good forward for them. Um, But, yeah, they've lost uh, two straight here on the road. It it really didn't look good in either of those two games, especially the Dallas game where, you know, the rain delay kind of set everything back a little bit, but both teams are dealing with it. But the team never really showed up. Sporting Kansas City, the first half looked pretty decent, but then in the second half, Sporting KC kind of just came out and did what they usually do against the Loons when they're in Kansas City. It wasn't – it's kind of going pear-shaped. It's near the end of the season, but, yeah. Did the head coach melt down yet? Uh, I, I love a good Adrian Heath meltdown. There was the meltdown earlier in the season after after they won, surprisingly, but it wasn't a good second half for the team. They almost gave up the game. But there was the meltdown there. Yeah, I he was, can't I
2: remember that. He was, not was a great meltdown. Game, yeah. I can't
0: remember another one if there was one.
2: We actually replayed that uh, that post game yeah. on the Adrian Heath Show that following Tuesday. <laughs> I
0: enjoy I enjoyed
1: it greatly. Yeah, I thought it was great stuff. It was Adrian a great w-
2: Show tonight, by the way. There Listen you go. At six o'clock.
1: Excellent. Uh, what's coming up in uh, questions, Jonathan Harrison? What do you got for Mister Hale and myself?
0: I'll ask you about the Gophers, which are coming up here on Thursday, and then I've got a a quarterback situation question I have for you.
1: Sounds good. Get to that next from the State Fair.